everybody, you're listening to The Rock Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rock bondage. Rock bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rock before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are rope partners and we've been practicing together for about five years. We live in Bangkok, Thailand and love to share our passion for rope with a wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of king classes, mostly centered around rope, and also things you can do to complement your rope. You can follow along from the comfort of your own couch, your kitchen, your bed, your rope dojo, or what have you. And you can either attend the class live or view it recorded at your convenience. Check them out on frictionlive.ca. Today, we are very happy to be talking to Adi, someone whose pragmatic approach to rope we love. Adi is a rope switch in all the ways. She ties, is tied, self-ties, teaches and performs uh, some of this with her equally well-known partner, Barkas. Welcome to the podcast, Adi. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. All right. To get us started, Adi, uh, can you tell us a bit about how you got started with rope in the first place? I, I kind of, I break it down into the uh, pre-Barkas and post-Barkas eras. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I got into rope via kink with a partner way back in the day. Um, and, and there was not a lot of organized rope stuff happening in Vancouver. Um, we would kind of grab whatever classes we could at the time and then hang out with a bunch of friends and experiment and, and sort of gather what we could. Um, and then I got uh, voluntold to pick up Barkas from the airport. <laughs> um, and I was, I was not terribly happy about that actually. I don't got to take my afternoon and go grab this person I don't know from the airport. And, um, we we hit it off quite spectacularly quite quickly, um, and thus begins the uh, post Barkus era, I guess. Uh-huh. Era, um, rope changed a fair bit in that time. Um, I had a lot of exposure to like a consistent methodology of rope and opportunities to practice. So, and 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 quite quickly um, ended up like traveling and and touring and encountering uh, the rope. Community, I, and I use the term community rather loosely. In terms of time frame, how long was your pre-Barkas rope practice, and when did you meet Barkas for the first time? Maybe three years or so. There was a bit of a break in there. Um, I I used to be an ESL teacher, and I was teaching abroad for a little bit. So maybe all told, minus a gap, three four years pre-Barkas, and it's been six and a half at this point uh, with. So realistically, the better part of a decade. But the first few years in there, I wouldn't say were consistent or, um, yeah, they were, they were catch as catch can. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, rope, um, and the different ways people experience it. So I, I, I've gotten quite hooked. And, and how did you then build your, your experience and training? Because you have so many different roles that you're comfortable taking in rope. Um, I was super lucky. Um, I'm, it's, it's, I got to meet somebody who I got, I mean, Barkas, right, is the biggest influence in my rope life. Um, and, and through Barkas, I had a lot of opportunities to, um, 
experiment to learn in sort of a safe, controlled way. Um, being exposed to like consistent, um, a consistent style means that you can kind of grow. I, I think more effectively because all the different things that you're learning kind of fit together. Right. So that alone, um, made it easier to learn things. Um, and, and I got to learn a lot. Actually, I learned most from, uh, about tying, I think from being tied. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite firmly believe that by and large people who spend time in rope, um, develop that instinct for how rope should sit, where it's going to be comfortable, what it's going to do to a body, um, a lot faster, um, from having spent the time in rope than, than from trying to learn outside of it. So I think I got to learn quite quickly because I spent a lot of time in rope, meaning that I got to, I had more, I guess, context for the things I was learning to tie on other people. Um, I think I'm trying to figure out how to make it all make sense, but, um, I think it's, it's like breadth of experience rather than, um, the number of patterns that you know, that makes you good. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so knowing a couple of patterns and using them in many different circumstances with many different people and seeing how they change and what each component does, right. Being able to kind of break them down and put them back together. That I think is, one of the most effective ways of like gathering truly useful knowledge. Um, and I think like that, that addresses the rope part of things, right? The physical rope, but there's a lot of, a lot of the tying experiences also to do with like the, the, but the physical interaction of people with being close to each other in proximity in someone's personal space. And, and that's a skill that I'm not necessarily a skill. It takes time to get comfortable with that. Right. We, we spent our lives respecting each other's personal spaces and entering somebody else's personal space can be very uncomfortable. Right. It's, Learning how to kind of do that without being awkward about it is, is something that I think it just takes like repetition and experience to become comfortable doing, uh, to be able to be intentional and aware of the effect that has on somebody else. Right. Okay. So I think being around rope a lot, um, lets you kind of absorb I don't know, a, a, a range of ways that people can interact. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, A really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. So it sounds like you um, built your rope topping through that how did you build your rope bottoming 
It took some time. Um, a lot of, uh, it took, it took the better part of a year of Barkas and I consistently like working with and fiddling with uh, a TK for me to be able to stay in the air in suspension for like longer than it took to, to even just lock the suspension line off. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I didn't take to being tied, especially for suspension. I didn't take to it very naturally. Um, and I don't think, I think there's a lot of people who don't take to it particularly naturally right off the bat. Um, I think there's a lot of people for whom it's difficult to, to find how it's going to fit their body. Um, and yeah, I, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you're not good at it, right? It just means it takes a little bit more time to figure out. So we spent, yeah, we spent the better part of a year trying various different ways of tying various different things before we found what would work for me. Um, I'm, I'm lucky because I have a partner and this could be like this for somebody else could be a very good friend, right? It does not have to necessarily be a romantic partner, but I had, I had somebody who wanted to try that with me. Um, it's amazing. It's yeah, it's very, it's very useful. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, but for what it's worth. And if anybody's hearing this and they're, they're newer to things and trying to figure out how they fit in with, suspension since that's the big one that everybody seems to gravitate to um it took me a year it took me a year to get off the ground and that's tying with somebody who knew their stuff so like stick with it um it gets there great that is a very nice message of hope for the listeners <laughs> uh, eddie you mentioned the uh, upside of tying in a consistent style would you say mm-hmm. that you have your own style distinct from Barkas's or would you say um, you and them mostly share the same style today? I I think I have my own style. I think, I think everybody ends up with their own style sort of inevitably. And that is, that is the, the, the end point in learning something, right? So if you learn something, Um, the first few times you do it, you copy it. The next few times that you do it, you've got it memorized. After that, you have to do it a certain number of times until you kind of don't have to think about it. And when you no longer have to think about it, you're, then you get to kind of play with it. Right. And, and that is your own style. That's what Barkas always says, put your own life into it. Right. Um, the, if you've learned something, so that you know it to the point where you can use it as you wish, when you wish, then that is automatically your own style because as you wish and when you wish is about you, right? So I think it's fairly inevitable if anybody spends long enough with any particular piece of, of knowledge um, that they end up making it their own and and therefore having their own style. Do you feel like... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, Do you please. feel like rope bottoms have their own style as well as rope tops, or or is it that the top sets the style of the the piece and the the bottom follows? Um, no, I think I think that there's no. I, I I think that people who get tied have their own styles, and very very definitely, um, we all we want different things at different times in different situations and with different people. Right. So individual wishes, um, individual pursuits, uh, things that we gravitate towards, um, 
a question, a question that gets asked a lot in, um, our Rambu classes, because Rambu is sort of this, you know, very energetic, um, almost kind of fighty, big movement style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stormy and overwhelming is kind of the, the, this, the rough translation as I understand it of that, of that word. And I, I do not speak any Japanese, so I'm going entirely on what people with more knowledge have told me. But, um, we get asked when we teach those classes, we get asked a lot about bratting and people saying, well, you know, what about bratting? Is there a place for bratting in this? Has this, does this work with bratting? And, and, um, the answer that I give, and I should probably have prefaced all this with just saying like, this is my experience and my opinions, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying that this has to be true for anybody else. But, um, what I usually reply to that is, is that, um, yeah, bratting is great fun. If you, as long as you brat to the capacity of the person who's tying, right? If, if you push to the point where they can't overcome, then it's, it's kind of not supporting the scene, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things, and I'm, I'm sure we'll end up getting to this later, but one of, one of the things that, um, that I see people who get tied doing, um, when they kind of have a a good sense of what they want from a scene and a good sense of how to interact with the person who's tying them, one of the things that that I see is sort of this, I don't know, an, an instinct for how to play back with the person who's tying you. It does not necessarily mean bratting, but um, reacting and responding to the input uh, that the person tying puts into the scene. And if the person who is tying is observant and kind of able to work with that, then they respond back to those cues. So there's kind of a, a reciprocal feeding happening. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of the, the personality and individuality um, of the person getting tied gets expressed in a scene. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, to give us a bit of context, so you both tie and also get tied. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays, what would you say is your ratio of those two things? Do you tie more? Do you get tied more? I mean, if we're going pre-COVID lockdown days, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, I, I tie more than I get tied. Um, a good a good part of that, I think, is. Um, Basically, the only person who really ties me these days is Barkas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not because I dislike being tied by other people, but a lot of a lot of the people in our circle are people that we've also taught. Um, and I think I find it very difficult to turn my brain off um, enough, if we can excuse sort of the the it's a fairly crude comparison, right? But like turn my brain off enough to just drift with it. Yeah. Um, so when I get tied, it ends up almost being, I end up, I end up trying to give feedback mm. because I find it very hard to turn off that, that You're teaching in the teacher mindset. Yeah. So the person who ties me the most is Barkas. Um, and I would like to expand that because I know that I'm, I know that I'm missing experiences that I would probably like to have. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
I think I heard you say that you had a background in dance. Uh, is that something you bring into your rope practice? Um, a little bit. I I didn't start young with dance. I started, um, I don't know, late teens, early 20s when I was at, at university and I joined a, a salsa dancing club for something to do one of the evenings. And and it was fun. Um, so I got, you know, I got a little bit into salsa dance. I got a little bit into swing and blues dancing. And... Um, it's a very useful metaphor to bring in to rope. Um, the, the sort of the back and forth between the people who are dancing between the lead and the follower, the person who's tying and the person who's getting tied. Right. And the sense of, at least for the way that I think about a rope scene, the sense of both people sort of supporting the scene together, Mm -hmm. right. Getting through the dance together in teamwork um, regardless of how much imbalance of power there is situationally in that scene, I, I find a sense of teamwork and of both people working together to have a good dance. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's an imperfect metaphor, but I, I, I find it a good one. Um, uh, jazz improv music is another good metaphor, um, in the way that like, in order to really sort of, you know, go go off of the standard, right? To be very bizarrely creative, you kind of have to have done all of the classical training first to have the most range to just go nuts with it. Um, and I, I think that that can be quite nicely applied across to rope as well, right? Getting the getting the foundational pieces, um, yeah, down to the point where their their muscle instinct, finger instinct, allows you to improvise in a way that uh that can sound very uncoordinated but that still works and and big question what's important to you in rope (laughs) that is a big one maya um every answer that i can come up with seems to somehow come back to feelings rather than to sort of physical actions, right? Um, so I guess this one's going to be a fairly feely answer. But um, feeling like the person who either I'm tying or who is tying me really wants to interact with me personally as, as like an individual human, right? And based on like who I am um, and not because they're just looking for someone to tie or because, you know, it'll be a fun story for somebody or something like that. Right. But the the sort of the individual personal interest in me as a person, um, the feeling of, I guess, being valued for that, that answers probably more leaning towards like when I'm getting tied. Um, and, and when I'm tying, I guess same thing. Um, I think skill level doesn't necessarily matter, right? Genuineness matters. Um, and, and I would want, I find it important for both or all people participating to come out of it feeling glad that they have done that together. Um, I guess that's a fairly vague answer. Oh, but it's a lovely one. <laughs> 
Uh, Adi, I believe you work in uh, nursing or something similar. Is that something that affects how you interact with rope? Yeah. I might almost say that rope affects nursing or my, oh, my interesting. how nurses more. Um, so, okay, I guess let's talk nursing to rope first and then we'll go backwards. But I, I want to talk rope to nursing. Nursing to rope. Um, oh, wait. Yes, nursing to rope. Um, I, I work in a, I work in a community clinic, like an urgent care center in the community. So like all kinds of people come through for all kinds of reasons. Um, and it is, it is useful and interesting and I think good to meet so many various different people. Um, I feel like I am less insulated, right? Than I would be if I did not meet that many people. I think it's, it's given me more context for, I don't know, understanding who people are and how they are and why and, um, for sure. Yeah. Aside from that, like nursing has helped me kind of be fairly calm in the face of angsty things. And I'm not very concerned about bodily functions. So I don't really mind if people get all sweaty and drippy all over things. Good point. Um, <laughs> desensitized a little. Um, but rope, rope to nursing. I think one of the things that has been the most useful is rope has helped me become comfortable holding space for people who are in distress, right? Experiencing strong emotions. That's very um, interesting. I don't, I, I, I don't think I feel the need that I used to feel this need to like dispel awkward tension. Right. And I don't really feel like I need to do that so much anymore. I feel like I can just hang out, um, be comfortable with people being vulnerable and ask sort of, what do you need right now? Rather than kind of getting anxious about doing the wrong thing. Right. So being, being comfortable around strong emotions and, and distress, um, and impactful things. Um, I think it is, I think that has made me a vastly better nurse. Hmm. That's a super yeah. interesting perspective. Um, so there's a lot of fluidity there. It's really interesting. So given you switch, are, are mm. there differences in the kind of rope that you like as a top versus a bottom or self-tie? Yeah, I, I think the, the very, the very quickie answer is, um, I tend to tie a lot of suspension and I tend to get tied in a lot of floor work or parcels, partial stuff. Um, I think when I'm, when I'm getting tied, when I look back at like my all time favorite scenes, like eight out of 10 of those have no suspension line involved whatsoever. Um, I, the, and the, the, the reason that I find being in floor work, um, rope. So I don't know, captivating sounds cheesy, but let's go with that. Um, is it, it, it gives me time to let my brain drift and quiet down. Um, I, fairly recently got diagnosed with ADHD, which does not surprise me in the least, right? But it means that I have a rather hard time getting the various tracks of my brain to just shut up a little bit and let me 
you know, concentrate on the things happening. It usually takes me 15, 20 minutes to calm down enough to be focused on the, the interaction I'm having and not to have, you know, intrusive thoughts of things happening around me. So floor work gives me the space to let it be about me and the person I'm working with. Um, and I don't get very many of those sort of protectedly private, calm spaces. Not to say the floor work is always calm or gentle or anything, but like the, the quietness in my mind, I don't get that very often. So those ones are very special to me. Um, that said, like the dynamic Rambo stuff works great if I'm also works great because like it, it works with the distractibility quite well. Mm-hmm. So also have a great time with that. But you know, yeah, I, I don't tend to get tied in a lot of suspension for the sake of suspension because I have a very hard time holding the headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, tying others. I, I do tie a lot of suspension for others. I really like understanding how things work. Um, and I really like, I guess the, the challenge to myself of being able to balance something well enough that somebody can relax in something that does not instinctively feel relaxing. Mm. I, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that qualifies as an ego thing or not, but I, I find it immensely rewarding to judge something appropriately for the person. Um, I, I find it rewarding in the same way that like getting somebody to laugh with a joke is rewarding. Oh, right. Sure. I did that. I gave that person that thing that was good. And that makes me happy that I could do that. Mm. Um, self-tying. Um, it's, it's, I, I, it makes me feel strong self-tying. Mm. Um, I kind I, I like push myself because I feel more comfortable pushing myself than having somebody else push me right up at the edge. Um, I guess as long as, as long as we're going along with diagnoses, I get panic attacks mm-hmm. and having a panic attack in rope is a very helpless feeling. Um, but I can kind of keep myself in control if there's something very important I have to do, I don't get panic attacks when I'm at work because there's very important things I have to do. Interesting. And I don't get panic attacks self-tying because nobody else is getting me out but me. So I have to stay in control. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a way of self-testing, I guess. We're going to pause here because our conversation with Adi was so interesting. We definitely went over the time of our normal rope podcast episode. And since we didn't want to cut it short, we decided to divide it into two episodes instead. So stay tuned for the second half of our interview with Adi in the next rope podcast episode. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Also, come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast, or our Instagram, which is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. And if you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.